I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, Hello everybody and welcome to Friday's Rugby Weekly on the eve of maybe the biggest test in Irish rugby history. It's about 8am where we are in Ireland. That means it's about 7pm down where Gary Doyle is in the world. Delighted to say Gary joins us from Wellington and he looks like a child on Christmas Eve, I've got to say. Gary, how are you? Are you, are you as excited as you appear at the moment? Yeah, excited by the fact that I'm going to be heading out for a drink and as soon as this podcast is over, Gav. So get on with it, man. Get on with it. I've got to get to the bar. <laughs> I tweeted yesterday, Gary, with a poll. Now, you could argue my first mistake was tweeting, as it always is. Um, but I was basically asking, I was trying to gauge from people, what would a series victory in New Zealand be like? How would it stack up against, say, Ireland finally getting over the hump in a World Cup and reaching a semi-final? Mm. I think there were about 2,000 votes. I was surprised by how close it was, about 60-40 in favour of reaching a semi-final. But that mm. would suggest that, you know, almost half of the people who voted would see this a, a prospective series victory, and let's not get ahead of ourselves quite yet, as being equally significant or even more significant than reaching the last four of a World Cup. You've done a really good job on the members' pods of uh, putting into context how big an achievement this would be based on how rare it is that New Zealand actually suffer a defeat on their home turf in a three-game series. Where would you stand? It may be a bit of a stupid question because, of course, we want to be more ambitious than merely getting to a semi-final. But just to gauge it from your end, how big does this feel? Definitely feels very big, Gav, um, for a number of reasons. You know, fellas as, as ancient as me remember how crap Ireland were in the 90s. I was writing about this yesterday, but it's it's just worth revisiting. Like, you know, they played in Namibia, they lost in Namibia twice. They played Italy four times towards the end of the 90s, they lost three in a row. They played England ten times in the 90s, they lost eight, one, two. They played Scotland 11 times, lost 10, drew 1. Played France 11 times, lost all 11. They played the Springboks, Wallabies and All Blacks on, I think, 16 occasions. They lost all 16. So when you put that context out there in terms of in the 1990s, Ireland never finished outside the bottom two in the Five Nations. The last 22 years have just been extraordinarily successful and extraordinarily consistent. So when you make that context, number one, about how crap Ireland used to be, to win against New Zealand at all after 111 years of trying was a big deal. To follow it up and do it in Irish soil was possibly a bigger deal. We can argue the toss on that one. When they won again last November, it was after two years of lockdown and the atmosphere that day was just so, so special. When they won last Saturday in Dunedin, it was their first away victory over the All Blacks on New Zealand soil. And again, away wins feel more special, Gav, because the fans that are in the stadium, the Irish fans, just go fairly, fairly lula and it's uh, always good fun to to witness that and to sort of f uh, feed off their their fun. Um, but to win a series 
in New Zealand is something that England never managed to do. Now, they have won here twice, Gav, but it was mm. one-off matches. They've been involved in, in six series. They've lost all six. The Springboks have only won one series here, and the last time that was achieved was in 1937. The Aussies have won two. France have won one. The British and Irish lands have come here on 12 occasions and have won one series. So that's your context. We're talking over 50 series on New Zealand soil against the All Blacks. And if Ireland managed to win a, a test series where, whereby you're proving it's not a fluke, it's not a one-off, it's, it's called a test for a reason. And if they do it, to me, I think it would be bigger than a Grand Slam, but it would not be bigger than a World Cup quarter final because Ireland's record, Ireland's record in World Cup's quarterfinals is just so abysmal that that is one box that just has to be ticked. But, you know, players aren't going to be debating this in their head tonight when they hit the pillow uh, before they go into the land of Nod. They, uh, they've just got a chance to make history and then you can worry about the World Cup next year. <laughs> 100%. And I think maybe why I would have edged towards this being let's say bigger or, or as big as reaching a semi-final I know you disagree but it's mm. probably because and again we need to qualify this hasn't happened yet it may not happen New Zealand may come out of the blocks tomorrow and do a number on us they're going to be hurt by what happened last week and are playing for probably their careers in all blacks jerseys in a couple of situations and certainly mm -hmm. they have a coach who's playing for his future but mm -hmm. what's what's rare is wonderful we haven't been down there in 10 years. We don't go down there too often. We may not be down there again. It may be the final opportunity we have to beat the All Blacks on their own turf. I also think that we've inflated the importance of a World Cup semi-final, not only in the sense that not everything has to be geared towards a World Cup and there is plenty of enjoyment uh, in the four years along the way, but Absolutely. also because if you actually zoom out and look at a World Cup semi-final and what that means, it means you're in the top four teams in the world, which we believe Ireland to already be. Like on paper, reaching a World Cup semi-final isn't uh, an achievement of the magnitude that we tend to prescribe to it. Uh, Wales have been in two of the last three and I think Ireland are going to get there at some point. In fact, I know Ireland will get there at some point in a future World Cup, whereas I just don't know if they will ever have a better opportunity to beat New Zealand on their own soil. Maybe there is an, an immediacy bias as well in the sense that this might happen tomorrow and I'm thinking of immediate future Gavin dancing around the living room and uh, having a great day on the back of it, whereas the World Cup feels somewhat dips, distant and abstract. But I just think this feels like, like, let's enjoy this pit stop. If we can tomorrow, let's enjoy it. Just in the sense that, uh, it, you know, it, not everything has to be geared towards something that's around the corner. It doesn't always have to be geared towards the future. There's a... Uh, a massive test match on the horizon, which feels like the culmination of something. I think you've actually summed it up pretty well there. It's one of the final milestones that this rugby nation has to achieve. And I do yeah. think if they can somehow manage to achieve it, it's uh, it's really worth celebrating. So what chance have they? Like, Give us a sense, firstly, of what it's like in New Zealand now. Obviously, you've you've done a great job in keeping us updated from down there in terms of the mood not only in the New Zealand camp you mentioned it was like a funeral without a corpse when you were in the team hotel after the test in Dunedin mm. but equally that sense of pressure that is building around Ian Foster has that gone into overdrive on the eve of this test does it feel as big yeah. down there as it does back here oh yeah it reminds me of 
the tabs in England going after Bobby Robson when he was uh, England manager before the 1990 World Cup. It reminds me of when Ferguson had the temerity to lose a few games in, I think it was 2004, 2005, and people were calling for his head, saying that he was past it. It's really uncomfortable viewing Gav is the best way to put it, because as I was saying on a previous pod, I remember Foster being over here, or sorry, over in Ireland in 2016, and just how relaxed he was and how convivial the conversations were, how respected he was by the press that spoke to him. Whereas now, down here, you're watching a man visibly under pressure, and it's just not pleasant. It's not pleasant to, to observe. Now, look, I'm a reporter, and... You know, I've been that guy that has applied pressure uh, on various coaches over the years, so I can't pretend to stand on a high moral ground, like, you know, but to be in the room and to not be directly involved, you know, it's no skin off my nose who the All Blacks coach is, but to watch him be subjected to so much intense pressure and to listen to the, the public say they really want Scott Robertson to come in, it really does remind me of the clamour of Brian Clough to become English soccer manager uh, at a time when Robson mm. was there or before that Ron Greenwood. You know, the the outside the outside uh, guy always seems to be the better choice when things aren't going that well. And when you look at Foster's record, it's six defeats and he took over just after the 2019 World Cup. You look at Andy Farrell's record and he's suffered seven defeats and he took over at the same time. Yet Farrell is being talked up by Stuart Barnes and Warren Gatlin, two really respected rugby voices as best rugby coaches in the world, whereas Foster is being depicted as this guy that isn't really up to the job. And it's it's wrong. It's completely wrong. He's obviously a very good coach. He's just a coach that's under a huge amount of pressure because in Zealand, rugby is the biggest sport by a country mile and the All Blacks represents the best of the, of this people. Uh, it's such a it's such a big part of national pride, of their identity. And to add to all that, it's a small nation. It's an isolated nation. It's a small nation as as we are. Yet it's we're while we're not connected to Europe in terms of a geographic border, we are in you know we're everywhere is pretty close. Nowhere is close here. You know Australia, even Australia is a couple of hours away. So I think that all adds to it, Gav, in terms of people just wanting the team to do well because it has done well for over a century. But rugby has changed and teams have caught up and Ireland is one of those teams. Do you feel as though Foster has the support of his players? And I don't even necessarily mean what they're saying publicly, but in their two performances so far, is that a group of players who are still playing for their coach? Because we've seen on several occasions, including at some of the probably in some of the football examples you listed there, we see it in all sports, basically, Mm -hmm. where a coach just reaches the end of his tenure. And on a subconscious level, even if the players are trying their best, per se, that emotional buy-in maybe isn't there. Maybe at the backs of their minds, they're thinking, well, Razor could be with us as soon as next year or even November. Like, is there much of a point in going to the well for this guy? You might even personally like him, but if it feels as though it changes a foot... It's a, it's conceivably a little bit more difficult to uh, go to the trenches 
Yeah, it's a really good point that you've made, Gav. The honest answer is I don't know. I don't have an insight into the thinking within the squad. Um, in terms of commitment, they're giving it, like if you think back to the first test, Gav, which is like it's only two weeks ago and Ireland were on their line for the last five minutes of that match. And even though the score was decided, or sorry, the game was decided and it was it was clear the All Blacks were going to win irrespective of the fact that uh, that Ireland were on the charge, they held them out, you know, they put their bodies on the line. So that suggests, one, they have pride, and two, that yes, they are playing for their coach. Um, I think the point has to be made, Gav, this is just not as good a New Zealand team as previous All Black sides. Like, that's definitely one factor. The other factor is, you know, and I feel a bit uncomfortable saying it, but the other factor is that some coaches are better as assistants than they are as head coaches. And that just might be the case with this guy. It's not maybe a vintage All Blacks team, but their lineup for tomorrow is a stronger All Blacks team than Ireland faced in Dunedin. I don't think there's any question about yeah. it. You think of the return of Will Jordan, uh, the return of Sam Whitelock, which should shore up their line out. And I actually think possibly most importantly, the inclusion of David Avili, who's back from COVID, who's just a weapon of mass destruction when he gets going. Mm. And if New Zealand's problems, one of their issues, certainly, and the guys have done a really good job of outlining this during the week, Birch, Owen Toolan and Murray, has been a lack of creativity, really, and almost a lack of cohesion, even off first phase play. Havili mm-hmm. is the kind of guy who, if you're not creating much, he can actually just punch a hole and allow you to create off the back of that. Like, he's a... I think he's an important player for them. So, a fair, like, let's call it a strengthened version of the All Blacks that Ireland are facing tomorrow. What do you think this New Zealand team can do against Ireland that they were incapable of doing, albeit as well with 14 men for the majority of the game last week? Well, the last point you made is a massive one, Gav. Like, Ireland had a numerical advantage for 53 minutes in the match last week. So you can look, it's very easy to look good when you've got an extra player on the pitch. And you've also got to remember there was about seven minutes we haven't had an extra two players on the pitch but to give our credit and this is a this is a big point um that I was making in the piece that I filed this morning Ireland have re- Andy Farrell made the point at yesterday's press conference that some teams play on the edge of the laws and Ireland like to have a really low penalty count now it's one thing saying it and there's another thing backing it up with facts so I had a bit of a trawl through the evidence and lo and behold it's a hundred percent accurate like Basically, Ireland's penalty count has been 10 or below 10 for all bar four of the last 15 tests. In terms of yellow cards and red cards, their last red card was the Bundy Aki one in in the the really good victory over England at the Aviva. Um, And since then, we have had no red cards. And the last six games, we've had one yellow card and the opposition have had six and the last six games, the opposition have had three red cards. So the point to all of that is that if you're a team that can stay within, keep 15 players on the pitch, you've obviously a better challenge. I'm stating the bloody obvious there, but the fact is that they're go- Ireland are going out with a real policy of sticking to the laws, whether they like them or not. The big talking point down here, apart from Ian Foster, is that the laws just are too loose or too strict now, sorry, and that players are being sent off unnecessarily. But really, 
you know, it doesn't matter what whether you like the laws or not, you have to just deal with them. And if the referees are going to apply them, then Ireland are in a much stronger position, Gav, because of the fact that they are reading the law book and going along with what's required of them. Whereas the All Blacks quite simply haven't. And in the first test, the referee was lenient. Last week, he wasn't. On the back of that, Ireland had an additional player for, for nearly two-thirds of the match. So... That just says that Ireland actually have a really good chance tomorrow because William Barnes is is a really strict ref and the All Blacks can't do to Ireland what they did in 2016, which was basically bully them, play on the edge of the laws. And, you know, like we all remember that match, there should have been, there should have been at least one red card, possibly two. So they can't do that tomorrow and hope to get away with it. Yeah, it's a great point and it's something that I think especially is pertinent when Barnes is the referee because I felt last week as though Jakob Piper basically bottled a couple of big calls or at least he and his TMO conspired to bottle a couple of big calls purely because they're in New Zealand. And listen, that's human nature. We see it mm-hmm. in cauldron-like atmospheres anywhere in the world. It doesn't even need to be in a cauldron necessarily mm-hmm. in New Zealand. They can be quite a, a cerebral crowd rather than a vocal crowd, but it's just the fact that you are there and you are under that sort of uh, psychological pressure. Mm-hmm. Barnsley, Barnsley will not care. He'll march you. It's simple as that. So they do need to be on their best behavior. And if there is to be an emotional backlash from them, which you presume there will be, it certainly can't cross the border as it did in 2016, which I think is an issue for them. Like um, they've probably gotten away with that for 100 years. Uh, They Mm -hmm. just won't tomorrow. That being said, we're speaking as though Ireland are favorites to win the game tomorrow. At least maybe I am. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but... Looking at that Ireland team, which is virtually unchanged, obviously Bundiaki comes in at 12. Gary Ringrose misses out because of the red card challenge mm-hmm. last week. Robbie Henshaw at 13, and then Keith Earls as a sort of utility back replacement at 23. Can they go again? Can they be better than they were last week? How conceivable is it to your mind that actually that Ireland actually get over the line in this third test? Yeah, I definitely think they've got a great chance, Gav. Um, look, if you're looking at it logically, you would probably side with the All Blacks based on Whitelock's return, based on home advantage, based on the fact that they want to avenge what happened last week. There are a few factors which count against them. There's a big talking point down here about the fact that Roger, now have a good laugh at my crap pronunciations, uh, Tuivasa Shek, the fact that he's on the bench, you know, he's... Not a player that um, he's a he's a surprise selection. Put it that way, he's a mm. surprise selection. Johnny Sexton dictated the terms and conditions of last week's match so comprehensively, so impressively that if they have uh, Tuivasa Shek on the pitch tomorrow and the game's on the line, I think Ireland's got a bit of an advantage there. Um, oh, hundred percent. You're looking from a defensive point of view. They were unable to get to Sexton last week. Like, really interesting stat. Ireland had 60% of the territory in the first test, yet they lost. They had 64% of the territory in the second test. So that, what does that tell you, Gav? That tells you that McLeod isn't getting his team up to the, up to the mark, getting them to unsettle 
Sexton, getting them to dictate their terms on on Ireland. Basically, so far, Ireland have been dictating so many terms on the All Blacks. So they're big, big factors. Havili, Havili, really good player. Um, we saw that for the the Crusaders this season, and he has a guy. He is a guy who you know that number twelve shirt is there to be seized, and he obviously could could seize it. But he's going up against a good Irish midfield. Like Aki Aki has played on this series. Henshaw is one of the most underrated players in in world rugby from from my from my point of view. And Ireland are fresh. Like even though it's twelve months into the season, Tag Furling made a really good point the other day, Gav. He says we're managed, you know, we get we get gaps during the year. So even though it's a twelve month season, you don't see them for five weeks every now and again in the middle of the season. So they're getting rests throughout the year. And again, going back to a little piece that I wrote this morning, Ireland in the second half of games since they had that really sloppy display against the Scots in last year's Six Nations have outscored the opposition in all bar two games where they finished level with the oppositions in the second half. They're fresh. They're possibly the fittest team in world rugby at the minute, Gav. Like you think back to the All Blacks game last November in the Aviva. They were 5-10 down at half time. They won the second half of that match, uh, 24-10. They're winning mm. the second halves of matches game after game after game. And this is stretching back. And that tells you that they're getting good messages at halftime, that they're being really well coached. They're getting good fixes from their uh, from Farrell, from, from Paul O'Connell, from Mike Cat, from Simon Easterby. And it also tells you that they have the hunger, at, they have the bench to do a job. They're playing, they play the game at such a high pace that not every team can live with that. And on two of the last three occasions, the All Blacks have been unable to live with it. So they definitely have a chance. We can't we can't say they're favourites. They're not. But it won't be as big a surprise if they win tomorrow as it would have been a week ago when I was genuinely surprised. That dovetails nicely, Ireland's proficiency in the second half with what you're saying about, say, Roger Tuivasa-Shek being on the bench. He was part of a really formidable Blues not only midfield, but defensive line. Uh, Craig McGrath, their defence coach, was on the members pod a few weeks back and talking about how he's basically uh, shaped his team to be able to combat the opposition. Now, they came unstuck eventually against perhaps even a slightly better defence than the Crusaders in the Super Rugby final. But mm-hmm. Tuvasashek is a rugby league convert. And he. what I'm saying is he, at the Blues, is part of a really... Um, cohesive defensive system their line integrity is was probably was was actually second to none in the regular season whereas this all blacks defense just does not seem to be functioning as a unit at all and if you have a guy like sexton knowing to have is by sexton standards and the standards of most test players a rookie and is part of a line that has its faults or has chinks in its armor like he'll be there for the picking i'm thinking of chips in behind just moments in which you can isolate him uh, not only in the defensive line but just take him out of his comfort zone make him make decisions that he doesn't want to be making mm-hmm. and you you combine that with the fact that Ireland actually do seem to get stronger in the second half and what I'm really trying to say Gary is you've convinced me that Ireland are going to win the game so thank you very much for that uh, you might you might curse me uh, tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow if that doesn't unfold it's look these things are really hard to call um 
and you can be made to look a fool really, really quickly, Gav, if you sort of put your your neck in the line. But you know that's what we're that's what we're paid to do at the same time. So, look, my hunch is the All Blacks, but if it happens and Ireland do win the series down here, it won't be that big a shock. And that's something I could not have imagined saying when I was watching Irish rugby in the 1990s, when they were so, so, so bad. Whereas now we've been really consistent for 22 years and we're ticking off one box after the next, like, you know, the win in Paris, the first win over Australia since 79, first win over the Springboks in 65, and on and on and on. Grand Slam, first ones since the 40s when we did that in 2009. And then that was said, well, that was an easy Grand Slam. Let's win away to France and England. And that's what they did in 2018. They won the series against Australia in 2018. It's adding up and it's adding up. And we now have a generation of players who believe they can win whereas in 2000 we didn't have players that believe they can win and I think that's the biggest difference that's the legacy of O'Driscoll and O'Connell that players now come into the Irish system and they believe they are good enough to do it and that simply was not the case Gav a long time ago yeah that's good enough for me we'll let you head off get dinner rest well tonight ahead of the big one Uh, thanks a million as always Gary great to see you great to talk to you Thanks, Gav. Great speaking to you. And for anybody at home, (laughs) Gary is wheeling away in celebration on his way for a drink uh, and well-deserved at that. Oh, there's a bottle out. If only you could see this. It's absolutely... It's absolutely glorious scenes here uh, as we wrap the pod. It's members.the42.e if you want to sign up to get all of the extra pods. We've been absolutely plowing them out uh, throughout this tour. You've got Murray, Bernard Jackman and myself on Mondays. We'll be looking up over the uh, decisive test early on Monday. There will be uh, more content from Gary, who's making faces at me here throughout the week, just before he heads home. Owen Toolan will be back on Wednesday. There's absolutely loads there. It's members.the42.e. I don't think if you want to sign up and become a member, support our independent journalism. So until Monday for members, mind yourselves. Or actually, no, sorry, there's going to be a post-match pod as well. So until tomorrow for members, mind yourselves. Take it easy.